You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this episode is Will Salmon from The Athletic. And Will, it, uh, it's been a busy last couple of days with camp starting and Friday Night Lights. Football is here a week earlier than we're used to with the Florida-Miami game moved up. And I still can't get Coach Nick Savage screams out of my head, and I can only imagine how the players feel about that as well. Yeah, you know, you look around the country, right, and you see, like, there's so many teams where, like, for example, the athletic covers, and I look around, and I'm like, well, this guy's not writing about the team yet, this guy's not doing anything yet, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, everybody starts kind of like a week earlier, I mean, a week later, and we're the only ones really starting a week earlier, uh, Florida and Miami, so you feel it, you definitely do, and if you uh, miss the rain, David, from Gainesville, we got some more for you, so feel free to come back and take some take some back with you to Jacksonville. It is raining here too, so uh, I think it's I think we're just they're just going to share the wealth, uh, like like only a late July day can in Florida. Yeah, man, it's been bad. I mean, the Friday night lights was a little bit rainy at first. The sun came out. It ended up actually being a decent night. But at first, it was kind of like dreary and didn't know if it was going to be in the IPF or the entire way or they were going to be able to move back to the field. And then the next morning was a little bit of a sleepy Saturday morning, too, where there were gray, gray skies. But, hey, man, I, I kind of take it for a little while because it's going to get it's going to get hot in a hurry again anyway. So Absolutely. Take, I guess you take it when it comes. Yeah, I think it, I think the media really can't really can't complain about that. It, it's uh, I guess quote unquote uh, cool front that came through. So uh, it hasn't been as hot as it can be uh, for a late July day, and like you said, the rain too. So yeah, uh, good time. You know, had my all the, the the last couple of days, and we'll hit on what we saw uh, at the first couple of practices, and also take a look at recruiting coming off of Friday Night Lights and snagging two commits uh, from the 2021 class in Carlos Del Rio and Kamara Wilcoxon. Before we do that, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or even live on YouTube like some of you are doing right now. That will be probably going away soon as YouTube uh, is getting rid of Hangouts on Air. So uh, we'll have to find a different way to do it live. Uh, but as of now, uh, we'll have to figure a lot of things out before we do another live show uh, after August uh, first, but uh, it will still live on YouTube, so don't worry. I just may not be uh, as live as it has been uh, in the past. But when using those services, please share, rate, review the show, let and uh, let Gator Nation know what you get with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. 
Don't forget, August 17th, kickoff party here in Jacksonville at the Red Gill Bistro. August 17th, the week before Florida-Miami kickoffs the season, free admission. Uh, I'll put out an RSVP on Twitter. You can check it out there and reach out to me at gatorsbreakdown at gmail.com and let me know if you want to go if you don't get the RSVP on Twitter. So, Will, I think we have to put on here this disclaimer when talking about the first couple of uh, practices of camp here. We only get about 45 minutes uh, at, at each of the, of the first two practices, and players are in helmets only. You know, there's no 11-11 or 7-on-7 seven seven that we get to see. Uh, the pretty much warm-ups, drill position, uh, you know, positional drills, individual drills. Uh, so we'll have to take, uh, you know, take from that what you will. Uh, there's no physicality, no trench play. So, uh, you know, just, there's not a lot of physicality going on uh, in these first couple practices. No, and on top of that, we don't even see them right now in, sh- in pads yet. Yeah. That won't happen until I think the 31st, maybe the right. 30th. Um, I think it's the 31st, right, David? I believe um, so. Yeah, I looked it up this morning. So full, I think the full full pads are the 31st, so they may get in some shells coming up. Yeah, and so like the first couple of days is always just you know shorts and shorts and jersey. So you really can't take a whole lot in, into um, you know consideration there when you're just viewing a couple of periods. So it's hard to take a whole lot of that you know, put a whole lot of stock into that, but you are able to kind of see like some uh, physical transformations with guys who, who look to be working hard over the summer, who lost some weight, who gained some weight, that sort of thing. And that stuff matters. And that's easy to kind of pick out. And if you, if you, you know, work out enough, or if you watch guys or watch football enough, you know, who's been working and who hasn't just by looking at them and you could just tell, so you could glean a little bit of info that way. And we were also able to kind of talk to some guys as well. And, if um, you know guys are guys are usually pretty accommodating with information and their takes and their opinions, and some guys shed some light on some different things, that was kind of helpful to us. Absolutely, we'll start at the quarterback position and didn't get to really see too much. Like I said, just kind of routes on air uh, and, and such there. And like what I saw uh, from from Emory Jones, and uh, I know it caught your eye too. You you and I were kind of there at the, at the same time. Uh, the teams were split up. The quarterbacks were in the indoor practice facility, and this was uh, the second practice here. Uh, talking about with the quarterbacks and what they were doing, throwing at targets with, with pads on the ground uh, there. So it's kind of obstacles that they would have to move around in the pocket, move up in the pocket, shuffle their feet. Uh, and from Emory Jones, you know, more emphatic with his throws, uh, moves with some quickness, some quickness the other quarterbacks don't have. We kind of already knew that, but even showed an ability to hit a target on the move in, in sprint outs. And, uh, you know, for for what we for what we got to see uh, in Emory Jones, I'd say there's a, there's a little bit, uh, there's a little bit more, I think, that uh, Gator fans could be excited for. Man, those five minutes were impressive, huh? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I was kind of like, whoa, he, he's he's hitting them. He's hitting them right, right on the bullseye. Like, that was yeah. pretty good. Not not to, um, you know, put too fine a point on it, but he yeah. was – he was pretty solid in those, in those couple of drills that we were able to see from, I guess, for listeners sake, it was kind of like mid range and close range throws. So I want to say maybe between 10 to 15, 20 yeah. yards, somewhere yeah. along those lines where just to give you kind of like a visual, um, they were taking some steps within a pattern drill and then they were like either rolling out or just throwing right from that set position. And for the most part, he looked very on target with his throws. His accuracy was there. Again, only a handful of throws, but he looked pretty good. I, I heard that he still has some consistency to work out, some kinks to work out from throw to throw. 
kind of like uh, what we saw in practices last year, where you would see maybe one or two really, really good throws that would kind of make you make you turn your head. And then he would miss one that you thought was a little bit easier, actually. And so the consistency factor was a work in progress. But to an extent, that's what you sort of expect with him still. He's still a young guy. And this is only his second year playing college ball and in, and in the system with Dan Mullen. So I think that with Emory Jones, the key for him will be having some sort of a role within the offense. I don't know how large of a role that will be. Probably pretty small if I had to guess right now, unless something happens with Felipe Franks. But I think it it is important to have him do something. And that probably will be some sort of like specialty package where maybe even against the better teams, we see him appear in – just a package that he was practice, practicing throughout the week that Dan Mullen and the staff is comfortable and confident that he can execute. And what that does is if he does execute those couple of plays week to week, that only builds his confidence going into perhaps next year where maybe Felipe Franks is or isn't here and he has to take on a larger role um, and be counted on even, even further. So I think that's important this year. Yeah, I look at it too with – with kind of the use of Emory Jones is I, th- I think this team's going to go as far as Felipe Franks can take that next step, take another step. And, and as far as he can go with that. And I, I do think there are going to be times where I think look, we know the offense ran better the last four games of the season when Frank started using his legs, but I think the staff will still want to protect him in some form or fashion. I don't, I, I'm not saying coach scared by any means, but limit hits to Felipe Franks where you can. So if there's a third and short, a fourth and short, goal line to go situation that you feel pretty comfortable, Emory Jones can go in and pick up those one two three yards then i think you know those are some packages we'll see him in just to just to limit just to limit you know felipe franks from getting hit so much definitely that's a good point and the other point is that emory jones could be a weapon so why yeah. not use him he's a guy you have him use the guy he's there for you he should be a lot better than he was last year he should be more comfortable find a way to utilize him within the offense even if it is just for a couple of plays he's there for you it could just be a change up for the defense that you're facing. Make them make them account for him or the usage of him. Make make them think that he's going to be used in some capacity or catch him by surprise within his usage for that matter. Either one, either way, it's, it, it has a high percentage of working out for you if you're giving him, you know, a handful of plays to work with and say, here, just execute this. We're not asking you to learn everything within the offense. We're not asking you to run the offense. We're asking you to run these couple of plays within this drive, and he should be able to do that. Yep, and going back and kind of speaking of Felipe Franks and, and that target throw that we were talking about, that's not to say you know he wasn't uh, throwing it as well either or, or close to the target. He, he was he was around the target, hitting the bar uh, around the net uh, and the target for the most part. Uh, clearly that he is the guy that this team is his uh, there. And I don't just you know that's not the when we were kind of praising Emory Jones there. That wasn't to kind of you know shun away the other quarterbacks there. We just didn't really get to see a lot of what the quarterbacks did, and that was the one. Thing that caught a lot of the a lot of our eyes that were out there was just Emory Jones and, and his improvement for for some accuracy uh, there and just and just those couple of throws. So and uh, Will, I was kind of beating around the bush a little bit and, and asking around. I was told actually, you know, Felipe Franks looked pretty sharp after we uh, left practice uh, the first practice on Friday. That doesn't surprise me, and I heard some of the same things. And we were talking about how Emory Jones should be better. Well, Felipe Franks should be a lot better. Um, actually, and people ask me all the time like what his ceiling is. Some of the best praise that I could give Felipe Franks right now is that we don't know. Was he close to his ceiling last year? Maybe. Can he do better? Maybe. 
we don't know because of that stretch of games that he had late last year where if he were to take another step, that really wouldn't surprise a whole lot of people at this point. I think more people are saying to themselves, okay, this guy does have some room to grow. Whether he reaches it or not, who knows, but there may be another sort of step that he can take, whereas midway through last year or toward the end of before that four-game stretch, I should say, People were wondering, has Dan Mullen got everything out of Felipe Franks right now? And and that's probably something where you could kind of say, like, maybe he did last year. Maybe that was as far as Felipe Franks could have gone for that first year under Dan Mullen, because I think that's probably close to accurate. But this year, it should be better because, look, you have a whole group of wide receivers that are back. You spent the whole summer working with these guys. There's a familiarity within the offense already. You're not learning a new system anymore. So theoretically speaking, you should be able to you know, add some wrinkles or sort of refine some areas, and you really should hit the ground running, which behooves you because you got this game coming up in four weeks. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and and you were kind of going – you were leading to where I was kind of going next, and I was going to talk about the wide receivers, but let's go back and talk about that working together. And look, we, we got to talk to, to some wide receivers and Felipe Franks after the second practice and we, and went back and talking about what they did in the offseason. You know, I think we can go back also to Thursday and, and Gator Media Day when, when Dan Mullen was talking. And like you say, right now, the guys should know the playbook. They should know the playbook. Right now, what's going to separate them, what, what's going to build them and taking that next step was – since you know the playbook, what little things are you doing to get better? And, and we've heard Felipe Franks and the wide receivers discuss these late night throwing sessions. And Franks would be in his apartment, and the wide receivers would just call him up uh, out of the blue at eleven o'clock at night, midnight, and they want to go work out. They want to get together with their quarterback and go build a rapport, go go get some routes uh, on air down, and make sure everybody knows where they're at, and, and and build a rapport where Felipe Franks can trust those guys, and those guys can trust Felipe Franks. Yeah, from what I'm gathering, it's not just one or two guys either. It's it's uh, you know it's uh, Van Jefferson, it's Grimes, it's it's Cleveland, it's Kyle Pitts, even for that matter. So it's a bunch of guys who are doing this with Felipe Franks, and so a lot of people wonder also, I think, you know, just how Felipe Franks fits in with the offense from a, just a personality and chemistry standpoint. That's actually pretty strong, is is what I gather and what has been indicated to me is it's actually pretty strong and they're, they're pretty in sync. It's just a matter of whether or not they can execute it week to week. But from a wide receiver standpoint, I think that's also helpful when you're running routes next to the guy to just be comfortable knowing what he's going to do or having an idea of what he's going to do that helps you out. And also just from the standpoint of this isn't a very selfish group. And that's that's always a concern when you're talking about offensive players, I think, especially wide receivers, is a lot of the top guys, they want the ball. And that's great because that's what you want from your wide receiver. You want that guy to be that way to some extent. But when you have a boatload of guys like this where you have a deep and experienced room that is used to producing, it is pretty comforting to hear, I think, if you're Florida, that all these guys – say the same thing all the time and it shows up you know you don't really see too you don't see that at all actually guys pointing fingers or anything like that it's not obvious if it's happening that's for sure um and so i don't think it's happening at all where guys are pointing fingers wanting the ball or anything like that i think it's actually the opposite where people are pretty satisfied because they know that within the offense they're going to get their opportunities it's not like somebody or one guy is being targeted time and time again yeah van jefferson is going to lead the team in targets probably like he did last year but it's pretty spread out as you can see by the statistics where it's not one guy getting a thousand yards it's it's a bunch of guys getting within the hundreds so it's out and i figure it's going to be that way again 
Yeah, and keeping with that group of receivers, you can definitely tell the first couple of days of separation from the veterans of the group to the to the young receivers there. You, you can see Copeland and his potential, and he's further along than, say, that the freshmen that are out there like Deontay Marks and Jamarcus Weston, but still behind in, in terms of route running and fluidness that you'd see in, in, in the veterans, Jefferson, Grimes, Swain, Hammond, Cleveland, Tony all have that part of it down. And Tony had Tony has had issues catching catching the ball in the first couple of days. Uh, but freshmen uh, Marks and Weston they're, they're swimming a bit right now. And and uh, uh, Friday that they struggled catching off the jugs machines. And don't get me wrong, uh, I was there out there beside it. Not ball was flying <laughs> out of that jugs machine. Uh, but yeah, it really is, uh, you know, and uh, but the, the receivers were running like little in routes and the ball was almost on them as soon as the turn. Uh, and the freshmen had trouble catching up there. So, you know, it's all about adjusting. I don't see anything alarming here. Also, you know, part of the adjusting was on display Saturday as well. As the veterans knew kind of what to expect and, and running crisp routes and, and dipping their hips uh, on cuts and you know, wide receiver coach Billy Gonzalez was working with the young guys here. And you know, that's what that's what this time of year is. It's teaching for the young guys and refining skills for the veterans. You know, I almost hate to say the young guys were struggling and really want to label it more as they're they're still adjusting. Yeah, I mean, put it this way. I didn't even really bother to watch their routes most of the time, yeah. to be quite honest with you. I watched a lot of Copeland and Tony just out of curiosity, more so Copeland, just because we just haven't had the opportunity to see him on the field. And I just wanted to see what it was like for him. But when it came to Marks and, and Weston, we're talking about one guy in Marks who kind of just arrived like yeah. a couple of hours ago. Like, <laughs> right? So there's that. He's, he still has an unpacked. His boxes are yeah, still packed. I mean, yeah. he probably has, if he's anything like me, he probably has the suitcase that's still, <laughs> you know, zipped up and just has a couple of pairs of clothes out that he's been wearing and stuff. But, um, and, and Weston too, for that matter, he comes from, you know, a small, smaller high school where, you know, he wasn't, it's not as if he was ru- running um, deep routes and, you know, it, that just wasn't their game that that team. So, it's different. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that if anything were to happen to those first group of names that you mentioned, I think it would be Rick Wells, right, who kind of who, who steps up and, and, and you would think has some sort of a role within the offense. If anything were to happen to those first four or five or even six names when you count Kyle Pitts into the mix as well. So I don't see them really needing to ever be in a situation where they're relying on these younger guys. Copeland's important because he's the guy who you think will take on a role next year. So it's important for him to stay healthy and get reps. But Grimes was telling me that he's actually looked pretty smooth and say like the seven on seven or 11 on 11 drills or whatever it is. Um, he's looked pretty smooth and he looked a little bit better than he did in those early drills that you and I watched. All right, we'll move to the uh, the group of uh, the guys behind the quarterback, and, and Damian Pierce has lost some weight, looks cut. I was kind of surprised there from from his transformation from last fall to spring and, and what he looks like now. Uh, Malik Davis still continues to show no signs of injury from last year, looks bigger in the leg area. Hopefully that helps from the injury department from him after going down two seasons in a row. Uh, there was, you know, there was word, some word going around and talking. I think it was with Nick Buchanan uh, that he may that Davis may not have been 100 percent last season when he played, still recovering from that knee injury uh, in 2017, and that he is now at 100 percent. And the rest of the team can really tell. Yeah, I mean that's probably fair to say because that, that injury that injury happened against Georgia. So you're, yeah, you know, you're, you're, all, yeah, yeah. So you're late October. And you're probably right. You're eight months or basically what eight, nine months down the road. He's probably still not fully healthy. 
Right, because if you look at it and you, and you say to yourself, well, look at where Marco Wilson is right now. Well, if the season started a couple months prior, maybe he wouldn't be in the situation where he is now, where he's apparently full go without any restrictions. And so it is interesting in that way. I think David Reese was another guy who was kind of asked about it um, and said, look, you know, we, we know that he wasn't 100 um, percent. He just it just didn't look the same. But he is right now and he's looking really good. And we didn't see him with that brace that he was wearing in the spring either and talking about Davis. And so that's also another great sign for him in that running back room. Uh, but but they're they're deep and they're fine. They're, they're, they're a lot like the wide receiver room where you kind of know what you're getting out of that top guy in LaMichael Pirine, who we talk about Felipe Franks, and we're not sure like what kind of ceiling he has. Same thing with LaMichael Pirine. I mean, that guy is so good, man. Um, he's so good at everything. I think he can improve as a blocker a little bit still, um, but pass catching, running ability, that's on questions. He, he should be in line for another big season. Everybody knows that. And then you have Davis and Pierce, who I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys emerges emerges between the two of them to kind of um, get a little bit more carries. But at the same time, they're both really talented. So I would also on the on the flip side of that, it's not as if I kind of expect one expect that to happen. I would also not be surprised if they split carries within themselves. So it's a good group. It really is. You throw in right there. We don't really know what he's going to do as a as a freshman in practice, but. Again, he's in a position where you're not relying on him whatsoever, so he could really fly under the radar and just get reps, uh, get comfortable within the offense and the playbook. All right, let's go to probably the headlines from from day one uh, in this group of of the offensive line. And when they lined up in the fastball drill where the offense kind of quickly runs a few no-huddle plays right after warm-ups, it it was the lineup that we saw coming out of spring ball. Uh, Forsyth, Heggie, Buchanan, Bleich, DeLant from left to right there. But, Will, it was two other offensive linemen that grabbed headlines. Noah Banks and Ethan White uh, on Thursday. Mullen mentioned that Banks would be practicing. When camp opened after missing half of bowl prep and all the spring after suffering uh, the epileptic event during bowl prep last December. Uh, and, and well, this plays into one of your latest articles at The Athletic that, you know, as you took a deep dive into the experience on the offensive line, we weren't sure we weren't sure if Banks was going to be available at all this season. Uh, played 12 regular season games last year uh, in JUCO before that. He's you know if he's fully available and it looks like you know the way he's on the field right now, you would guess so they, they probably expect him to be. Uh, it goes a long way in giving the, the Gators some depth on the offensive line. For sure, because otherwise they're an injury away from probably relying on either you would think a second year guy, maybe maybe a. Uh, I don't know, a guy like Garage, but chances are you also are going to need a true freshman to kind of step up and then fulfill that role that somebody else sort of leaves open if they're going to become a starter. So you're too deep with feature a true freshman, and that's a little bit scary for a team in the SEC with a schedule like Florida's. But you mentioned the article I wrote, and it's interesting because a lot of people put a whole lot of stock into career starts around this time of year when you're talking about the offensive line. Part of that is because we really don't have a whole lot else to put on the offensive line. It's not as if they have a whole load of statistics that we could kind of point to. Um, so we got to be concerned about something. And that, and that's always going to be career starts when it comes to the offensive line. And so I was asking around the guys, and I just want to get their take on it. And I even told them, look, you know, I'm probably just as guilty of this as anybody else that's going to talk to you. But I always label you guys as a concern. So am I wrong here or kind of convince me here? And Brent Hagee was pretty pointed and he was like, look, it took me three plays 
to kind of get acclimated, to get comfortable when I when I started as when I started in what 2017 at this point. And yeah, maybe that's not the norm and experiences vary, but I kind of was buying what he was selling me. And that by the time that these guys are done with all these reps, all these practices, it's not as if they're playing football for the first time in their lives. Yeah, yeah the crowd is a factor. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, in some guys' cases, probably a lot different. It depends on the kid. But these guys should know what they're doing. And I looked at the career starts that John Hevesy has worked with in the past at Mississippi State because Florida enters this year third worst in terms of career starts um, in, the, in the country that they're returning on the offensive line. They're in the 30s, the low 30s. I think it's like 32 or something like that. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. They're in the 20s. And it was in the 30s where that uh, John Hevesy was working with previously in two other years. And I was kind of curious, like, how much the offense was hindered by that, by the lack of career starts. And it turns out, and I was there in Starkville for the 2017 season where that's included in one of the two, um, where he was working with less than 40 starts to begin the year. It didn't really bother them a whole lot. And it kind of makes sense because in the case of Florida, these guys are going to be playing. Uh, they were backups last year. They worked as starters in the spring. They're working as starters in training camp. So that's a lot of college football. And it didn't really bother the offense a whole lot in the past because Mississippi State with Dan Mullen and Hevesy, they were still able to kind of do what they wanted to do well. And there were other parts of that team that, one year they didn't have wide receivers, so the passing attack stalled. The other year they didn't really have a great running back, so the running game stalled. That really couldn't have been pinned on the offensive line. So kind of getting get to the point here, again, sometimes that could be overblown. We'll see. I think, if anything, the offensive line is an unknown heading into this year. You just don't know what you're getting. And I think that's probably the fairest way that you could assess what the Gators have right now. One thing we definitely could see – was the transformation of Ethan White, uh, and uh, it was probably as a, that had might have been the biggest takeaway uh, of the, of the practice on Friday. Uh, yes, Coach Savage gets a ton of credit here, but you know this doesn't happen without the kid being dedicated and doing so uh, as well. You know, I don't want to shame the kid, but you know some work was needed when he when he came on campus when when he sh when he showed up seven months ago, uh, and, and then you know. Take, and then taking to transforming his body and, and getting in shape. Forget about the physical aspect of it for a second. Well, this shows this shows me some mental fortitude because you know this transformation. Once you saw his his, you know, if you compare the pictures from when he's taking his commitment photos and, and he's there uh, against a white background, and then then the, the, the photos that a lot of people took screenshots of uh, from, from uh, practice on Friday, you know this transformation was not easy. I'm so glad that you brought up the fact that Ethan White had a lot to do with Ethan White improving his body and improving his physique. And yeah, you could take a shot every time Nick Savage's name is brought up in media scrums, <laughs> and you'll probably be really drunk within three minutes. <laughs> but it, it takes a lot, and I'm so glad that you mentioned it, because he is a great strength coach, but it takes a lot for a kid his age to be able to do that. And for everybody that kind of has that experience in their own personal lives, where it's just wanting to get better, wanting to improve your body, that is so hard, man. It really is. And I think it kind of speaks to um, who you're recruiting and the, the personality of these kids, because a lot of people point to what the guy looks like, what his technique is. And I've spoke to John Hevesy a lot about the fact that within the offensive line, you're also recruiting character a lot more than you are other positions because 
that kid has to work and he has to accept the fact that he's probably not going to get a whole lot of glory. And in fact, he's probably going to get a whole lot of criticism um, because they're only going to find out about you when you're messing up. Mm -hmm. Chances are on the offensive line. Right. And so he wants to see how these kids work and what their personalities are like. Um, I don't want to say just as much, but at a pretty high level from what they look like and what they can do on the field, because that matters when you're recruiting the offensive line. And so if you look at Ethan White, I think that's a credit to that sort of line of thinking where you are getting a kid who is saying to himself, okay, yeah, I have to work and I want to get better and I'm going to do what it takes. And that, that's a kudos to him, of course, and it's kudos to the staff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And let's move to the other side of the ball and a welcome sign uh, for the first for the first time with the, that the defense was on the field as a unit uh, and a, a welcome sign that you had some, some guys back uh, from injury. Uh, they're basically going through kind of, kind of like a, a walk through pursuit drill. Uh, and then you, you had Jeremiah Moon who was out there at, at the buck position and he looks great. Uh, he has the, the look, the build, the size, however you want to label that position there uh, at buck. He, he looks the part. I mean, he, he, when you talk about prototype there of what you want a guy to look like that plays that buck position, the way Jeremiah Moon looked and what I saw on Friday, uh, that's, uh, that, that's how you want him to look. And then Jonathan Grenard uh, received some time there as well with the first team in the drill as well. Um, uh, coming coming in uh, for Moon as well. But the other 10 guys uh, on the field at the same time for the defense, Zuniga, Schuler, Campbell along the defensive line. You had Reese and Bernie at linebacker, Henderson, and as I said, the return of Marco Wilson uh, at cornerback and Donovan Steiner and Jawan Taylor were the first team safeties. But, Will, you know, it's good, just going back and, and looking at the size uh, of Moon, even though he missed spring, looks like he didn't really miss a step uh, in, in the weight room and, and getting his body in, in shape for the, the – the, you know, he's, he's going to be asked to, for a bigger role this year. He's going to take more hits this year than he, than he has probably in the previous two years combined uh, that he's going to be on the field now. So it was really good to see him back on the field and Marco Wilson out there. No knee brace, nothing. Looks like uh, he, he belongs out there with, with, with no sign of injury. Yeah, man, Moon is such a freak, right? I mean, that guy, <laughs> that guy is exactly the way that you described. That guy looks like a statue. Like he's like, whoa, yeah. um, that's exactly the type of football player you want at that buck position, just like you um, accurately pointed out. But the thing with Moon is the the buzzword that's always been attached to him is potential, mm-hmm. and because of injuries and because of other guys stepping up on the depth chart in some years, he just hasn't been able to kind of fulfill that. I don't know how much you want to put on him or just put on circumstance because like I just mentioned, I think he was injured his first year on campus, if I'm not mistaken. And then lo and behold, you get a guy like Ja'Kai Polite um, last year who, you know, obviously fulfills that role and fulfills it very well and you're behind him. And so he's a guy who stands out on the field and you just know what his upside is. But I also thought it was kind of telling what David Reese Uh, told me and a couple of other reporters after practice the other day. And that's what Jeremiah Moon, he also mentioned that you kind of know what you're getting because he's not going to make any mistakes. And I didn't think that that was something that should go under the radar because that's not something that often pops out when you're talking about Jeremiah Moon, because we just don't know that because we're not there at practice all the time. We don't know what the reps are like, rep to rep. So I thought it was pretty telling that he said that Moon is a guy who is going to know all of his reads, you know what you're getting. He's not going to make a mistake. And so if you can combine that with that physical presence, he may have a pretty big year. I know he has to split time with Grenard, and that's going to be a formidable pass rush either way. 
But I like Moon's chances of sort of taking a major step and fulfilling that potential because of those two things working together. And I think we we'd be you know we'd uh, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't bring it up. It was brought up around ACC media days, and of course the, the rumors swirling around uh, defensive back John Huggins. Uh, we were we did ask, and Florida officials told us uh, he was away with a family issue uh, there. So we'll we'll take him at their word there. You know, all the rumors that's around there, but that's uh, what uh, University of Florida is sharing with us that John Huggins was not at practice. Uh, media is not allowed today uh, when they're practice, so he could be there today. But we were told. He would not be there uh, this weekend. So, uh, and look, and, and I know fans want to see more of Brad Stewart and, and Sean Davis back there at safety, but, you know, until they give the coaches reason to, to start them, you know, I'd still say get used to seeing Steiner and Taylor back there. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, with Steiner, I think the coaches have a comfort level with him where maybe, and this is just me talking, maybe he doesn't have the upside of other guys, but he also doesn't come with the risk of other guys either. And that's important for the back end of, of the secondary. And with uh, Taylor, yeah, I actually I, I like Taylor a yeah. lot more than some of the fans that I've come across. Um, some people um, don't really see what the fuss is about there with how many reps that he gets in comparison to others. But I thought he came a long way and I thought he really improved toward the end of last year. We saw him step up, make some plays against the run inside the box. And he's a communicator as well. And I think that goes under the radar. A lot of people don't know that. But he communicates very well back there, and he's a guy who's experienced, so you would count on him to be a leader. And you need that in that secondary because there's a lot of young guys um, beyond, say, Henderson and, and Wilson who are part of that group. And so you need a guy to be a little bit more vocal there, and, and he could be that guy. All right. Will, anything else uh, before we move on to, to recruiting, kind of catch your eye from the first two days of practice? I thought Kyrie Campbell was in great shape. I thought he lost some weight, and I think he's going to have a big year inside that inside that um, interior defensive line. Um, and it should go it should be pointed out too that he's really emerged as one of those guys who was a leader in the summer for guys to sort of lean on. And I think he put himself in good shape, and he should have a, another year um, that's productive and that was sort of an extension of what happened mid- midway through last year for him. All right, before we move on to recruiting, look, I know it's going to be weird to talk about underwear. But look, you've got to try UFM underwear. Don't worry. You won't see me modeling in any underwear on social media or anything like that. You don't need that. But what you do need is a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, underwear for men's patented pending design that prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. UFM underwear is designed to move with your body so you can effortlessly go from one activity to the next without ever having to think about your underwear. At least it's time, at least until it's time to order some more. So this is a state of Florida company that has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, underwear for men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. Well, let's go to uh, recruiting Friday Night Lights. You know, right off, the, right off the hills of Friday Night Lights, the Gators get a quarterback commit, 2021 quarterback out of Georgia. Carlos Del Rio commits to the Gators uh, off of Friday Night Lights. He, he impressed the staff at the camp. 
wanted to commit and staff let him uh the 273rd ranked prospect in the 2021 class uh three star on the 24 7 sports composite but thought to be a recruit on the rise uh, one thing that'll catch your eye is, is he, he's more of a pro-style quarterback. He, he'd rather sit in the pocket and, and only run when needed. Uh, that's what he does in high school. That that system is made for that as well. He, he's a, a throw-first quarterback, 6'2", 201 pounds, a 4.840-yard uh, dash, a strong arm and size here. Really made some impressive throws uh, Friday night at, at the camp. And, Will, I, I'm a proponent that you have to bring in a quarterback every cycle, especially given how players transfer uh, now, and especially at the quarterback position. Those guys don't want to sit and wait. With Jalen Jones already gone, future quarterback depth took a hit. So it's a good sign that Florida can go ahead and, and snag a commitment for, for from the 2021 class. I agree with you. I never, I never like to see a team pass on that position. But – the counter argument to that is that so many guys do transfer now that it's not as if it's a position where we yeah. saw the Gators like it's the offensive line where you're kind of hoping and, and wishing that somebody just appears in the transfer portal. Chances are a quarterback is going to be there. So if you do sort of get a little bit behind, you do have the opportunities to kind of catch up. So that's kind of like the counter argument to it. But at the same time, you want to develop your own guys. And with a guy like Dan Mullen, that's his MO and that's what his uh, sort of uh, – you know, his, his skill level is at, as a coach at, from a positional standpoint is developing quarterbacks. And so he's going to want to get a guy that he likes right away and work on him for a couple of years. And there's a lot to like with this kid. I, he's a well put together kid. You listed his um, his uh, height and weight earlier, but he's he's pretty he's pretty well put together. And you mentioned the fact that maybe he doesn't like to just go out and run. But I watched a little bit of his film um, around the time that he was. Um, going to, I think it was the um, barbecue a couple of months back and just knowing that he was a kind of a frequent visitor to Gainesville. I was watching some of his film and it's not like he can't run. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he can move. And if you watch his huddle and you look at his tape, he, he's um, it's hard to say because you don't know the competition that he's playing right. in, some of those, in some of those clips, but he is making guys miss and he is uh, outrunning guys for yardage. But I also really like his arm. Um, he, he is launching the ball in some of those clips. He's throwing a deep pass. And that's one thing that Dan Mullen likes because he says that he could teach accuracy, but he can't necessarily teach somebody to be a strong thrower. So that's what I was, that's always what I look for when I look at quarterbacks that they've offered or have committed to the Florida Gators is how deep can he throw the pass? Can he move? And, you know, what his size is like, because you don't know the other particulars just yet. He's still a you know, 2021 kid. So you don't know what type of you know leadership qualities he may have or he could build on or anything like that. So we'll see. He, he's a well put together kid who, who looks like he has the tools necessary and he wanted to be a, a Florida you know, quarterback. So we'll see how it pans out. But a good a good get for Friday Night Lights. And what you just d described toward the end there, being able to launch the ball and, and kind of just run when he needs to. I mean, hey, I mean, I hate to just uh, a blanket statement just right off, you know, the cuff here, but much like Felipe Franks, you know. Yeah, I'm glad you said it, not me. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I you know, it, but I was like, yeah, yeah, not, say so <laughs> not quite as big and probably not quite as big of an arm, but you know, the proof there that he can push the ball down the field, and if Dan Mullen, you know, believes, and I'm sure he does, with it, with his track record and resume that he can teach accuracy. Well, you know, this year will be the perfect example and toward the end of last year of what he did with Felipe Franks. That might be kind of the same line of thinking once Del Rio gets on campus. 
Yeah, and if you watch his, if you watch his film, it's not as if he's not accurate either. He's he's hitting kids. I mean, yeah. I saw a couple of screens where maybe they were a little bit high or a little bit here or there, but for the most part, he's he's there. Granted, these are clips that he wants out there, so <laughs> yeah. they're probably going to look pretty good. But but now nah, he's he he looked like a pretty good prospect to add, and um, it's helpful in the twenty twenty one class to do that, as we saw with the other kid who committed. Because I know a lot of people were kind of like, oh, you know, Friday Night Lights, we, we, we wish we had more commits for 2020. But hey, like your class in the 2020 right now has like 18 kids committed. Yeah. So you can't really have it both ways where because what, what that would have meant if you had maybe five or six kids on the verge of committing would mean that you have a lot of open spots, which probably means that you're operating within the 20s and 30s again in recruiting. Mm-hmm. And so then you would have had a whole couple of months of, wow, this is awful. So I really have it both ways these days based off the recruiting calendar where you could get a whole lot of kids because we're not seeing that across the country either with a lot of these programs, at least the high level programs where they have these sort of camps and where maybe in the past you would be able to get a couple of kids committed and whatnot. Not really seeing that as much anymore. Right. And you mentioned the other 2021 Commitment the Gators got in late Saturday night uh, from uh, Kamara Wilcoxon. Uh, he is also from the state of Georgia. Uh, the 2021 four-star cornerback comes in at 6'2", 190 pounds. Great size for a defensive back there in, in, in Torian Gray's system. Uh, hails from Decatur, Georgia. The 219th ranked player for the 2021 class. The 18th ranked athlete uh, with a clock 40 at 4.49 seconds, according to 24-7 Sports and their composite. Um, and he's a he's a recommitment. Uh, he decommitted when Charlton Warren left uh, to be George's defensive back coach. So on the surface, it looked like he just needed to get to know Florida defensive back coach Torian Gray just a bit more before pulling the trigger back to the Gators. Uh, Will Coxon is the fourth member of the 2021 class to go along with the recent commitment of Carlos Del Rio uh, there from from uh, from, from Friday. Uh, four-star defensive tackle Tyreek Sapp and three-star offensive tackle George Jackson. Will you get a you get a cornerback that's basically a top 200 player right now for the 2021 class? Those rankings will change a lot, but right now, basically a top 200 kid, uh, and that's how you continue to add to DBU. Yeah, I remember when the sky was falling in the 2021 class a couple months ago? <laughs> that, was, that was a good time, right? It was. And just like trying to figure out, you know, how does this connect to like Chris Steele and all this other stuff? And it's like, well, you know what? They actually don't. And right. It's just um, a perfect storm of, of, of uh, you know, if you're a Gators fan, bad news happening. Yeah, um, and I tried to warn people with that because I had the, the decommitments that happened around that time. I had heard well before the the, the Chris Steele situation that those were probably going to happen. And look, those kids, those Vanguard kids, is kind of who we're alluding to here, uh, Langston and, and and that group there. I mean, they 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 were in uh, in, in um in communication with Will Coxon after he committed, and you saw on social media how those guys were kind of interacting with each other. And Will Coxon's trying to bring those guys back into the fold. Yeah, and also, can you really blame these kids, though, to some extent? Because, like, look, these these are not 2020 kids. These are 2021 kids, and so they're not really going to be signing anywhere until more than a year from now at the earliest. Yeah, so, I mean, a year and a half from now. Yeah, I mean, like, do you really expect these four- and five-star kids that who are this young to kind of stay committed that long? I mean, no, you really don't. 
Um, if especially, being- especially if what we're what we're kind of hearing that maybe Florida wants the guys to not visit other schools anymore when if they're committed, uh, you know, stay committed to Florida. So if you're a 2021 kid and you're a year and a half out and you're saying they can't go to another school, then if uh, you know, I, I you know, I there's probably decommits are going to happen based on that. Of course, yeah, for sure. And I, I think like Dan Mullen's a little bit more lax these days in that than, yeah. than particularly some other coaches across the country, um, i.e. at like Penn State, which we learned the Derek Winko situation. <laughs> and Cle- um, Clemson's that way, but they can afford to be. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and, I, and I think that the idea of a kid decommitting and then recommitting also kind of shows you the approach within recruiting for Florida is that they don't really panic when that sort of thing happens. And a lot of fans will say, well, Hey, they, they, they ought to, because they got to operate with more of a sense of urgency. And I get that line of thinking, but the other side of that is that they do play a long game with a lot of kids and they do realize there's going to be some ebbs and flows within their recruiting, within their recruitments. And so they kind of just, you know, stick with it and just, continue to recruit these kids the same way that they were doing beforehand. And with this 2021 class to kind of like wrap it up with, with just that idea, you mentioned Tori and gray, a lot of it has to do with Christian Robinson too. Um, not only in, in Georgia, but locally uh, with the Vanguard kids that you mentioned. And so when you have your, your, one of your top recruiters, if not your, the top recruiter on staff working with these guys, chances are they're probably going to get back into the fold at some point. It just may take a little time, and it's nothing that really surprised anybody at Florida. Right, and uh, another uh, – You put it this way. You were on a, uh, you were on a spree this weekend with, with articles for, for The Athletic uh here we mentioned the offensive lineman earlier and another one uh kind of going towards Gervin Dexter uh and the headline from this weekend as well is he's shutting his recruitment down uh wants to show other recruits and commits what a commitment is uh Georgia's after him hard and he's saying he's not going to take other visits uh we'll visit Florida in the fall keep on recruiting for the Gators and you look in with him saying that Four-star uh, Alabama commit Tim Smith was on campus. Uh, I know they're trying to, to look at him, and that would be a, a great defensive line haul to somehow get him into the fold with what you already have uh, with Dexter, Johnny Brown, and Lamar Goods. Yeah, that wasn't a spree, David. I'll have better stuff next week, man. But uh, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Um, with, with Dexter, I thought that was the biggest news out of Friday Night Lights. Yeah. And I know he kind of said similar things. Uh, maybe uh, I think it was at the opening to I think two four seven sports. I think it was like Luke Stampini who had a who had a good article on it earlier um, a couple of months back. But for him to kind of double down on it, I thought was a, a little bit of a a big thing for Florida coming out of a, a night where you didn't really have a whole lot of news that was unexpected. I don't think the Dexter thing was unexpected, but it was reassuring and that's pivotal because he's the closest thing you have to a five star. He's like number 30 something out of like, I think it's what, do they do 32 five stars still in, in a cycle, two, four, seven? Uh, it's around that number here. I got you. Like that, right. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's, he's probably like a few spots, um, maybe one handful of spots away from being that guy. And that's important. And he's at an important position and he's a guy who's been a strong advocate for Florida. And I kind of question the idea of, can a guy like that even exist these days? If anybody can exist these days in the SEC, it's this kid because he's, he grew up a Gators fan. He's been singing their praises uh, since he committed last November. He has stayed committed. He's from an area in uh, Polk County that's a big deal for Florida recruiting. 
And so he, he's as important as it gets. And the big thing is that they still treat him like a, tri like a priority. I mean, like everybody interacts with him when he's on campus. Dan Mullen is always talking to this kid. He gets a lot of attention. It's not as if he's being taken for granted because he's some longtime recruit. Uh, he gets a lot of attention. He's seen as um, a key piece of this class, which he is, if not the biggest piece. Yeah, you mentioned uh, he is the 39th ranked prospect in 24-7 sports. So he has 29 five-stars. So, you know, he's only, you know, 10 spots away. And uh, we can go into the his senior season, uh, one more football season, uh, and puts a good showing there together, then you might be looking at the at five-star when it's all said and done. Yeah, and, and Dexter talks to these kids too, which is a big deal. I mean, he's he's out there recruiting a guy like Smith, and he and he's he's that type of uh, kid who is okay. He's, yeah, he's going to sing their praises, but he's also going to tell you straight up like what the staff is like, and that's important because the staff can't always communicate with a kid based on based on where we are on the on the recruiting calendar, and they also can't offer a firsthand account on how they really are because that's impossible for somebody to do. Like, even if you're like the best at self-analyzing yourself, uh, to hear it from somebody else is a, is a huge deal. Um, even when you're 17, 18 years old, like that's, that, that matters that to have that sort of uh, review and confirmation that these guys are what they saying that they are. And so that's important. And um, he's going to continue to do that. And that helps in recruiting. And with Friday night lights being a big example of, of this point, it's, a, it's another data point for these guys like Smith and uh, the offensive lineman uh, who was here, the four-star kid from uh, St. Thomas Apostle, I think it is, right? Yeah, do, uh, do, Marcus Dumerville. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, a, it's a, like, yeah, you want to see those kids commit, but those kids aren't probably going to commit anytime soon um, to any school. I know Smith is already committed to Alabama, but if he's going to make it, make a switch, it may be down the road. And so you need these events to work out and maybe they don't work out in a tangible way where you say, okay, the kid flipped or he committed, but it's another dot on the timeline that you can interact with these kids and to make them know who you are and what you're about. Yeah. And you mentioned to that point and you could tell that the the recruits and, and targets that were on campus, uh, they were having a good time uh, with, you know, Friday and Saturday as well. Uh, we had discussions with Avery Helm and his relationship with the staff and, and sticking with him through a torn ACL. Uh, Derek Wingo was enjoying himself for the first time as a commit on campus. Uh, Richard Leonard, Gerald Mincy, and Wingo were, were on big time target. Marcus Dumerville, as you mentioned, and they were on him hard. And that's what you want to see with all these commits on campus and, and targets that could potentially uh, end up Gators in the end. And he would be looking at, you know, nights like Friday night uh, as a point to get those guys in there. And you can see that the commits really taking it all in and, and enjoying being committed to Florida. And the hope is, is that bleeds over to the top targets like Dumerville, Tim Smith, and Devontae Williams. Yeah, for sure. All those kids were like attached to the hip, right? Every time we saw those offensive linemen, they were always together. It was kind of weird to an extent, but uh, <laughs> friends and and uh, they they seemed like they were having a great time. So um, I don't know, man. I wouldn't be surprised if that kid were to end up in the class, the, the offensive lineman that was here. But he made it clear that he's going to take some time, and it may not be until the Under Armour um, All American game before he uh, makes a final decision and a final call on where he wants to go. So yeah, it's, but like these days are important to get these kids on on campus and to get them to interact with uh, not only the recruits who are here, but the coaching staff as well. Um, not everybody participated in um, or competed within the event, but I thought it was also a good point to make that Tim Smith did. Mm -hmm. And so here you have an Alabama commit who is not only going to the school, 
but is also saying, hey, let me let me also uh, compete in front of these coaches too. Let me hear what they have to say as I'm going through this rep. So I don't know, maybe that matters, maybe it doesn't, but it's a thing that happened at the very least. And so it matters to some extent right now. We'll see if they get, that could be parlayed into a bigger uh, situation or um, another dot on the timeline that they can get him to go to campus or they could build off the relationship, we'll see. But the, uh, the fact that the kid was here and he was committed to Alabama, but yet he competed at a Friday Night Lights event, it's hard to understate that. Yeah, speaking of uh, kids committing before we wrap up here or, or competing uh, at Friday Night Lights, it was uh, it's pretty hard to keep up with if you're a one-man crew out there but as far as Friday Night Lights go and all the kids that are out there. Uh, so uh, Del Rio caught my eye, of course, and the Gators got a commitment from him. But Damian Alford, big-time, big-bodied wide receiver uh, out there, 6'5", 210, was definitely noticeable uh, out there, towered over the, the DBs that were out there. Uh, could really go go up and high point the ball, catch the ball over every DB is out there. So, you know, the Del Rio and Alfred were the two that, that kind of I came away with that were kind of easily identifiable in, in knowing who they were because I mean, there's so many kids out there. And, you know, without knowing, without being around these kids all the time, and uh, I, I'm not necessarily with what I do here on Gators Breakdown, really kind of hard to identify all that was going on out there. Yeah, you probably you're probably one of the guys who has to get that Google machine going, and like yeah. a kid and try to match up his profile pic and all that type of stuff. But you're right. I mean, that's just how the event is. It's not like you're getting a, a roster of kids and you're able to kind of look it up and, and look at it and see and compare. Uh, but yeah, no doubt those two kids and certainly Smith. I mean, I thought that kid put on a show in those in those drills. Uh, he clearly dominated and got a lot of attention. Uh, from the coaching staff, I felt like they were in, uh, you know, at least at least two or three guys were watching him and looking at what he was doing every time he took a rep. And so I think those three guys combined were, I think, the headliners. There may have been some a little bit more guys who were younger in the 2021 class that, that caught people's attention. But those guys, for me at least, are so far down the road that it's great for Florida. Look, get on them now. And and like we were talking about, how they didn't have a whole lot of 2020 commits, but now's the time to get on the 2021 cycle um, even more so than you had been the past few months, which Florida has been doing a pretty good job of anyway. Right. Uh, well, I mentioned, uh, you know, a, a slew of articles that came out on the athletic over in, in the last few days. Um, and you, you released your kind of practice observations uh, on Sunday morning this morning uh, as well. Uh, what else is coming up this week uh, with the Gators, you know, probably with, as we mentioned, uh, the Gators in pads coming up soon. Yeah, you know, actually, I had the um, cool opportunity to sit down with Felipe Franks and go over a handful of plays with him, which I think will be something that Florida fans will want to read and check out because uh, we were able to kind of go over some throws together and analyze some of them. So that's that's a that was a cool feature that I was able to put together. So I'm excited about that. I'll have something on James Houston as well. I think he's an important piece for that linebacker rotation. And um, I'll have a, a cool article on Freddie Swain that I don't want to give away, but it's something that's a little bit off the field that um, really caught my attention. And I thought was pretty cool. So I appreciate you asking me. And those are some of the stories that I have in the works right now. And depending on whatever news happens between here and, uh, you know, within a week, I'll be on top of that as well, of course. Yeah, I can't recommend a subscription to uh, The Athletic uh, anymore. Uh, just because you know the, the the great week the great work you do will and uh, you and I we were talking about this Felipe Franks article uh, on Friday over coffee there and uh, yeah that's going to be that's going to be some good stuff and what and what you get to hear from Felipe Franks and identifying some defenses and, and what he's looking for uh, on certain plays. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you, you mentioned just the the subscription to the Athletic. Um, it it's 
the cost of like what, like a, a couple of cups of coffee for a yeah. month at three forty nine, three ninety nine. But you know, you also get everything else. Like so, if you're if you're a fan of like the Orlando Magic or uh, the New York Yankees or whatever it is, you're also getting a lot of good, great stuff from there. And we have a host of um, national uh, college football writers as well. We just hired Andy Staples from Sports Illustrated. So the writing and the quality of reporting is there. And I, I mean, I was a subscriber before I was an employee. So obviously I'm a little bit biased here, but I would say that it's money well spent. And I appreciate you having me on and, and giving me the opportunity to talk about the athletic as well. Absolutely. Definitely won't be the last time we'll uh, make sure uh, we'll get some Gators breakdown uh, with some regularity. Uh, the, uh, all the great work you bring on the athletic and here on Gators Breakdown. You can find him uh, well on Twitter. What's your what Twitter handle? At Will Salmon? At Will Salmon. Yeah, I keep it yeah. easy. I keep it easy, man. Uh, yeah, pretty easy. I confuse myself sometimes. So, yeah, <laughs> I, keep it, I keep it easy for everybody else as well. All right. Follow Will on Twitter and at the, at the athletic. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.